0: The following message is made available for you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emanuelmora.com. Letter of First Timothy, we are in chapter 4 this week. We're going to be closing out the fourth chapter. Uh, moving right along, uh, starting into the fifth chapter next week, getting into really the nuts and bolts of... Uh, of what church should be and who we should be toward each other. So let's look at the text here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I encourage you to look in your, in your own Bible that you might have in front of you. However, if you forgot your Bible, we'll have the, the text uh, behind me on the screen. And uh, this is what um, uh, Paul writes under the, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise you for your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, give your attention to the public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of the hands by the council of elders. Practice these things, be committed to them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. When I was in college, I spent a lot of time in the basement of the Performing Arts Center over at Minnesota State University, uh, Mankato. In fact, that's where Julie and I had met. And uh, though I uh, spent a lot of time Uh, down there, it doesn't take anyone real long to realize that there aren't any outside windows uh, in the basement in this building. And before you think that it would be sort of drab without having any windows in there, you'd be wrong, because the first hallway that you walk into, there are plenty of rooms. There are rooms that look into these tiny little blocks in which you would see people practicing. Uh, you'd see people doing, uh, playing the trumpet, you'd see them practicing the clarinet, you might see some people working on their voice, uh, maybe practicing piano, whatever it was, they were usually in that room practicing. There was even one guy that I uh, every so often would see him in a practice room practicing the accordion of all uh, instruments. And these tiny practice rooms were the home away from home for a lot of us music majors and also uh, master's students and um you know i know from i know how much time i spent in those rooms practicing but when i compared the time that i put into those practice rooms compared to some of the other people that would spend time in there, I felt more like I was sort of fostering a hobby rather than mastering a craft. There was one lady that was uh, that uh, in particular that when I would go to my 7 a.m. music theory class, she would already be in her little piano studio practicing away. When it was time for lunch, I would walk by her little room again and she would still be in there afternoon for three o'clock concert choir she'd still be in there playing and then sometimes when I'd come for an evening class she would often still be in her practice room playing uh, the piano she was more dedicated to the piano than anything else in her life and that's the way it was with a lot of these students many of them would devote themselves to eight-hour practice days six days a week and now I was a, a dedicated music student but I wasn't that devoted to it. I cared about some things way more than sitting in a six-by-six six concrete room and just sitting there uh, singing all day long. But make no mistake about it, I was devoted to other things. And you are too. We all have things that we make a priority. We all have things that we strive, that we, that we work hard toward, uh, things that we defend, things that we're passionate about. And in our passage today, uh, we are confronted by the Apostle Paul who asks us whether or not we are chiefly devoted to the right things. You See, it, it, it's, it's good to be devoted to family. It'd be good to be devoted to your schooling. It's good to be devoted to your, your work and your friends and maybe some recreational activity. But the question that we're pressed with today is whether or not we are devoted to growing in our faith whether or not we are devoted to making this Christian thing work in our lives. And there's three things that Paul tells us that we must not only pay attention to, but that we also have to dedicate our lives to, our time, our energy, and work diligently toward. Sitting in a practice room for eight hours a day, six days a week, uh, it makes you ready for the stage. But as Christians, there is no practice room. Uh, You grow as you go. And uh, so we're going to break down how Timothy, uh, how Paul instructs Timothy here, and how it can nourish our hearts and our minds and our souls, so that our lives can be changed, and then we can see the world changed by the gospel. So the first thing that we need to devote ourselves to is that we need to devote ourselves to living an exemplary life. Devote yourself to living an exemplary life. A December 2019 article from the Wall Street Journal, Uh, the author quoted research by this guy named John uh, Protzko, in which he tried to gauge the perception that older generations had uh, with the younger generations. And what he found was that in general, people in older generations almost never looked favorably on the generations that came after them, he called this the uh, the kids these days effect, and we've all heard that phrase. All oh, the kids these days, you know, they're not what they were, what we were when we were kids. And perhaps the most interesting part of his, his research was that the way that uh, individuals in an older generation judge the younger generation was particularly particularly by the values that they hold to themselves. So if they pride themselves on being polite and respectful more than likely they're going to be the people that would say oh this generation today they're not they're not polite and respectful or if you had you know someone that uh, may have a really high iq the thing that they may say is oh these these kids these days they're not as smart as we used to be you know they don't have the education that that we used to be and so it was always judged based on these uh, sort of metrics and he found this is true for any generation. And, and, and uh, you know, boomers, I'll ask you, you know, isn't it true that back in the 60s and 70s, your grandparents probably said that? You know, I remember back growing up as a kid in the 80s and the 90s, I'd heard that from older generations about us not being anything like uh, you know, the, the great generations. And now as an adult, I have a couple generations under me. And you know what? I find myself slipping into some of those attitudes today. And it appears that our friend Timothy was facing the same situation. Timothy was sent uh, by the Apostle Paul to Ephesus in order to regain some order in the church at Ephesus and some theological integrity. And one of the struggles that Timothy seemed to be having was his efforts on not being respected because he was younger than the people uh, in his church. These people suffered from the kids these days effect. And when you mix that with the fact that Timothy uh, was being placed in leadership over this church and these people, it's not hard to figure out that resentment is close at hand. So Paul then uh, encouraged Timothy in verse 12. He says, don't let anyone despise you for your youth. Now, The word despise there uh, isn't just a personal feeling that someone keeps to themselves. It's not like us good Scandinavians that, you know, we... We sort of hold those things in, but rather this despise here uh, uh, carries the idea of to be treated with contempt. It goes beyond just having this this uh, mental thought about judging someone else, but rather it comes out of the exterior and forces itself on another individual. And Paul here is, is most likely writing this because this is happening to Timothy. This is a reality for him. There are people in his church that were openly mistreating him simply because of his age, which was probably anywhere from his late 20s to early 30s. And this is a real thing. When I, when I took on uh, my first church that I led, I was 29 years old. And, uh, you know, there was an elder board established. But really, even though there was an elder board, the church was really in control of, of about two families. And whereas most pastors, statistically speaking, get about four years of a honeymoon period with their church, I got about six months. And one of the things that uh, uh, this guy was upset at me for whatever, and in order to put me down, he goes, Well, just look at yourself. You got spiky hair. My hair hasn't changed since I was 29, really, so I'm no different now, and maybe whatever. He said, You have spiky hair. Why don't you? Get a haircut, grow it out, and grow up. Okay, whatever. Uh, and it wasn't too long after that that uh, that he was criticizing me for almost everything that I did. And and uh, he ended up coming to me one day and said, "Hey, you know what? You need to realize that we're the seasoned veterans around here, and we know how the battle is is waged here. You're just the young private uh, that you know just needs to calm down a little bit and get in line." Okay, so I mean, I get that I was younger, uh, but I certainly can understand what Timothy is going through here, and the temptation would be to cut them down to size, you know, shoot them back some sort of comment that might hit them where it hurts. But again, Paul, when he says, "Don't let anyone despise you from your youth," it, it's not a license for you to assert your personal authority. Uh, it's not a license to get in their face. It's not Paul saying, man, don't you let anyone give you that kind of stuff. you got to stick up for yourself. you got to hold your ground. It's not that because the minute that a leader demands respect simply because of the nature of his position is the minute in which he loses the integrity of the people that are supposed to be following him. The better way, Paul says, is to set an example for the believers in speech. And in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So what is the manner in which Timothy is supposed to win over his opponents? Well, it's those things right there. It's it's how he talks to them. Is he argumentative? Is he always picking a fight? Is there conflict that he is continually putting out there? Does he use inappropriate humor? Does he cut others down? He is to win others by the way that he he lives. His behavior ought to show that he is God's man. He is to display a commitment to both the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, otherwise known as the Golden Rule. He should be the kind of guy that is is spirit-led. He doesn't do things in his own power. And he's to win them over with his purity. Now, in a Greek culture, that word purity... uh, was more, had more connection with sexual behavior, but it certainly doesn't just manifest itself in behavior. It also manifests itself in, in, in the heart and in the mind and, and, and in the words that they use. Now, I recognize that we may not have very many young pastors here, and so we might be tempted to gloss over this, but it's important to remember that this was not a private letter. This was not meant to be just a personal correspondence between Paul and Timothy. This was meant to be read in front of the church. And because it's meant to be read, it's meant to be applied to every one of us. So then what do we do with this? Well, there's two things. The first we ought to put out of our minds that there is some sort of prerequisite for faithfulness or uh, for holiness The church looks down on Timothy simply because of his age. But his age is hardly a metric to judge spiritual maturity. At one point, I served under a pastor who had been preaching since he was 16 years old. He had grown up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And by that age, he was ready in pastoring a church. On the other hand, uh, every one of us would say that that we've met some folks who have been Christians for decades, yet they're still wearing spiritual pampers. We don't look for longevity necessarily. We look for fruit and we look for faithfulness. And second, every one of us ought to strive to live the kind of life that is exemplary because the world around us is watching us. There may be children in your home that, is watching, that, that are watching you. The world is watching. We have a church in which we have people here that maybe checking this Jesus thing out that are, that are watching. What does your speech and conduct and love and faith and purity say to them about the God that you believe in? We need to make the commitment to devote ourselves to living this uh, exemplary life. But second, we also need to be devoted to the church. We need to be devoted to the church There's this huge debate in theological circles and it's been going on for hundreds of years, which means it's never gonna end up being settled. And uh, it is uh, about what can and can't be included in worship services. Uh, There's one side that sticks to what's called the regulative principle. And what that means is simply what happens in a worship service uh, can only be from the Bible. Anything outside of the Bible cannot be part of the worship service. It's called the regulative because it's like regulating a worship service, much like the government would regulate an industry. Uh, You know, on the other hand, uh, the other side, which doesn't have a cool name, simply says as long as the Bible doesn't condemn it, well, then it's fair game to put in the worship service. And it isn't hard to figure out fairly quickly when you're at a worship service which philosophy a church is under. Uh, But regardless of where we are in this debate, there's one thing that is absolutely certain. If the Bible has prescribed something for a worship service, then to not do that is, is disobedience. We are to do it. Anything additional to what is clear can be up for debate. And here in verses 13 through 15... Paul presents a pretty clear case about what needs to happen when believers gather together in a worship service. And he helps Timothy to gain some order. Now notice the macro expectation here. He says, Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Now I'm not sure what, what the, the uh translation philosophy is. Is on a lot of uh, translations here, uh, but when we look at this, there's there's a missing definite article, and if any of you remember back to grammar, definite article would be like the. And so we say it says here you know devote yourself to uh, reading reading of the scriptures, uh, exhortation and teaching, but in the original Greek they are so clear and obvious. A literal translation would say devote yourself. To the public reading, assuming scripture. The exhortation, which was probably meaning preaching. And the teaching, which means teaching of proper doctrine. Now, the, these aren't, generally speaking, are uh, very, uh, these aren't, these are specific things, I should say, they are specific things that Timothy must do. But Why? It probably goes back to the fact that this church is in complete disarray with false teaching and chaotic worship. And to unite the people of the church, these things not only provide order, but they also serve to foster spiritual health in the lives of the people and in the life of the church. Public reading of scripture probably needed to happen because nobody in the church owned a copy of the Old Testament and other letters that were circulating at that time. It was just simply too big to have that sort of paper sitting around. Paul tells Timothy um, to do this because it probably wasn't happening. And when you're in an organization in which the truth is being withheld from people and the public reading of Scripture is not happening— Vast amounts of manipulation can come and be taught. Scripture needs to be in front of people. The exhortation, the preaching is intended to explain the text in such a way that the Holy Spirit would open hearts and would open eyes and would open ears to change lives. The teaching of doctrine uh, takes the scriptures and, and shows how everything fits together doctrinally, There isn't anything in life that the Bible doesn't speak to because of our doctrine. And then what these things do then is very important for us to understand. We live in an era in which unity is sort of a buzzword. You'll see that all over. And unity is a good thing. But we often misunderstand it. Unity often comes after division, And it's crucial for us to understand that bad doctrine, bad teaching and preaching that leads to misunderstanding or misinformation or perverted twisting of God's word, divides a church. Biblical doctrine is what unites. And sometimes it takes a struggle to get there. And Timothy had to experience that. And praise the Lord, we have had a season of of great unity here uh, at Emmanuel. But let's not pretend that disunity could be around the corner without us looking for it. So we have to stay the course and we have to be devoted, at the very least, to these things when we come together on a Sunday morning. But there's another aspect of worship here that we ought to pay attention to. We need to recognize the ways in which every single one of us plays a part in what God is doing here. Look at verse 14. Don't neglect the gift that's in you. It was given to you through prophecy, uh, with the laying on of the hands by the council of elders. And so again, this passage is somewhat of a mystery. We looked at that back in in chapter 1. We don't know exactly what this prophecy was. We think it was probably had something to do with uh, giving Timothy the gift of preaching and teaching. Uh, Again, the the text really doesn't tell us what it is, but one thing we can be certain is is that Timothy possessed the spiritual gift and he was expected to use it in service to God. And the same is true for you and I. We may not have been given a, a spiritual gift by the elders putting their hands on us, and praying over us, but the Bible is very, very clear that every single one of us has been given a gift by which we can edify the church and help the church be what it is supposed to be. Romans chapter 12 and verses 6 through 8 is very plain on that. It says, According to the grace given to us, we all have different gifts. If prophecy, then use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If in teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. You know, we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and, and many other places within the New Testament. And if you're not sure where you might be on your spiritual gift and how God could use you here. Come talk to me uh, sometime because there's ways to figure that out and there's ways to have you plug in and and serve the Lord here. Um, I I guarantee you that, number one, you are valuable to what's going on here. Number two, uh, you are gifted. And number three, God has a place for you. So the regulative principle or not, there are things that we need to be committed to as a church. In the macro sense, um, there are things we need to do and there are the micro things at the individual level as well. I'm not sure where you're at, but Jesus is calling you to be a part of what he is doing here. So devote yourself to the church. And then third and finally, we need to devote ourselves to personal oversight. Devote ourselves to personal oversight. This is perhaps the most important part of this entire section. Uh, contextually, it has to do with pastors um, and their integrity. But it also trickles down to every single person in the congregation. We're all individuals that collectively make up what is Emmanuel Baptist Church. And so, when we come to a verse like verse 16, we, we may need to sit up and, and pay close attention. Paul writes... Pay close, careful attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. So let's look at these three aspects that need to be done, and then we're going to look at why. Both pastors and congregants need to watch their life. We need to be diligent, and we need to be honest with the things that we are taking into uh, our eyes and our ears and our and sort of what maybe comes out as well. We need to pay attention to the attitudes that we are harboring. We need to pay attention to the behaviors that we're exhibiting, the words that we are using. And I, I, I wish that I could tell you that pastors are immune to integrity issues, but unfortunately there is not a weak that goes by and I and I mean that in all seriousness there's not a week that goes by that I don't read an article of another pastor either being fired or having to resign because he's engulfed in some sort of scandal and oftentimes when we think of scandal our brains automatically go into sexual issues and yeah that is a problem the uh, the percentage of pastors that that have engaged in extramarital affairs is staggering but more than that Uh, Lately, more and more pastors are leaving the pastorate because of pride, because of being bullies, authoritarians who are not shepherds. Uh, Some have been disqualified because they straight-up plagiarized their sermons. Many have had to resign, and rightfully so, because of how they've handled sexual abuse cases within their congregations. The way in which pastors are being removed has expanded um, more so than it has in the last 10 to 20 years. And it's more the reason why we need to devote ourselves and watch over our own life and our own teaching. And I don't want to pretend that uh, there aren't a whole lot of issues that are going on behind closed doors in in every one of our hearts, because there are. Keeping a close watch on our lives doesn't just mean making sure that we look good when we present ourselves here at church or, or in public. It's watching your life here. It's watching your life at, at home. It's watching your life when you are alone. Alone. Proverbs 4, chapter 4, verse 23 tells us that we are to guard our heart above all else. Above everything. We are to guard our hearts. But watching our lives is a direct result of not watching the teaching. Paul goes on to say that we need to pay close attention to your life and your teaching. And this is where it gets somewhat Um, interpretively tricky because believing false things about God, especially if they are dangerous false teachings, will never lead you to live righteously and and, and it will lead you into bad places. But more often than not, for those of us who have come from good churches, the danger is, is not truly taking in what God's word says. The danger is hearing the good doctrine and having the word rightly presented to us but not internalizing it. It's agreeing with it at one point and then as soon as we're out the door, we're living completely different lives. It is to ignore what Paul says in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. You know, we hear the right things but we don't listen we have the seeds and we have the, the, the pot, but we, we don't plant them. And because of that, we end up living like the world. And our, our marriages and our families and our, and our, and our own lives are, are a complete mess. We need to keep a close watch on our lives and on the teaching. And Paul tells us why in verse 16. He says, persevere in these things. So that's the other thing we need to do is persevere in them for... And that word for means this is the reason why in doing this you'll save both yourself and your hears. In other words, eternity is at stake here. There's a lot riding on this. You aren't saved because of how good you are. That's one thing that we need to remind ourselves of. If that were true, then there'd be no need for Christ to die for us. But how we respond to the gospel, which is the good news of what Jesus has done for us, ought to be shown in our lives and in the teaching. A pastor who's running off with, with, a, with another woman or who bullies his congregation displays not spiritual health but spiritual sickness. A man who comes here and looks the part but goes home and is mean to his wife and his children has not heard this teaching and implanted it in his heart. And it pours out from their lives and the people that they encounter. Entire congregations have been destroyed because of a pastor's sin. Families are just destroyed because of people's pride. Your sin leaves a wake in which others can drown. However, when we watch our lives and our teaching, we have the opportunity to lead people into life and truth. Your life is a testimony. So, what are you dedicated to? Living how you want, regardless of any biblical boundaries? or are you living how God wants you to live? We need to devote ourselves to personal oversight. Get people around us who can speak into our lives and who we won't be offended when they get into our face and tell us that something's not right. Who show us our blind spots. We need this. I need this. You need this. You know, in the Christian life, there is no practice room You could practice for six to eight hours a day. I sure wish there was. I wish that when we came to Christ that there was an incubation period in which we could just live outside of the world for a little bit while we grow spiritually and we're ready to tackle the world. But that's not reality, friends. We come to Christ and we are out in a world that does not like Christ. We practice as we go. And we have to be dedicated to it. This is our life, and it's the only one we have. So why don't we take what, Timothy, what, what Paul writes here and link arms with each other and dedicate and devote ourselves to how God wants our life to be lived. Let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Moore, Minnesota. You are welcome to pass this message along to others, but please don't charge for it or alter it in any way without written permission from Emmanuel Baptist Church. This message has been made available by the generous supporters of Emmanuel Baptist Church. For additional information about how you can partner with Emmanuel, please visit us at www.emmanuelmora.com. There you will find more free messages and links to ministry opportunities to help you grow in your faith. If you are watching on YouTube, Please click the subscribe button to always receive the latest messages. Thanks again for listening. Emmanuel Baptist Church, Mora, Minnesota. Knowing Christ and making Him known.